the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Should children choose their gender? And then, do you ever feel indifferent during Holy Week? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy Tuesday, happy Election Day going on along uh, the Chicagoland area today. Hope that you are having a great day as, of course, storms roll through, all sorts of other things. Aubrey, it's Tuesday. How are you doing today? It's Tuesday. I'm grand. Thank you. Grand on this, on this Tuesday. My kids were home this morning for uh, remote learning, which gave me a little bit of COVID flashbacks. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, this is weird. This is strange, but I'm doing good. Remote learning is just essentially not learning. It's I terrible. We, we, it's terrible. We fool ourselves into it. But hey, it gets summer, it gets summer break here more quickly. I guess that's so it. I guess that that, I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah that works. Uh, but we are glad that you are here with us. Aubrey, I want to jump into the deep end of uh, a lot of things that are really worrying people right now. In fact, I would say tying it to Election Day, this is fueling a lot of school board elections, This is fueling a lot of people's fears about our schools and other things. Uh, And that is the idea of uh, of sexuality, of gender and uh, people being able to decide which gender am I or does God say, no, you are that this is like Mm. the front edge of the culture wars right now. And it is not slowing down. And with that in mind, Aubrey. I wanted to play a piece of audio for you from 60 Minutes. I think this is 60 Minutes actually out of Australia. But this is an author who is passionate about um, gender being something that everybody should decide. And that Mm. the problem with the world, one of the problems with the world is that we tell kids you're this Mm. because of – you know, because of biology, right? right? Because right. you have male genitalia or female and that that is a problem. So I'm going to get you. I want to play this audio because I think it will be surprising to people. This is what she did when her and her husband got pregnant for the first time. Let's listen to this. Okay. It might sound extreme, but it's happening all around the world. We're not trying to eliminate gender. We're actually trying to show how limitless gender can be, right? And just really helping kids find their own path to it and follow their lead so that they feel comfortable and authentic. In America, someone who knows how it's done is gender creative parenting guru and social scientist Dr. Kyle Myers. Seven years ago, Kyle and her Australian husband, Brent, had their first baby, Zuma. We didn't assign a gender at birth and we didn't 
disclose Zoomer's reproductive anatomy to people who didn't need to know. The reproductive anatomy that my kiddo was born with, I didn't want to assign too many labels and assumptions and, you know, destinies on top of that. You can't tell what your gender is by looking at your body. Gender is something you feel on the inside. Kyle has become the poster person for this unconventional parenting style, writing a best-selling book about her own experience. So you believe that if, if you're born with a penis, doesn't necessarily make you a boy. Right, right, because... So a lot of people who are born with penises identify as a boy, um, and a lot of people who are born with vulvas identify as a girl. A big part of that is because they're assigned the boy and girl labels, right, and are socialized as such. Isn't that confusing for a little child? I think it's actually more confusing to make children think that, what, the 8 billion people on the planet all neatly fit into one of two boxes? All right, Aubrey, here's her thing. We should not assign gender to babies, but we should let children, age three, age four, figure out what they are. Give them yeah. a lot of gender neutral stuff. Give them boy stuff. Give right. them girl stuff. Right. And literally hide from grandparents, from aunts and uncles, from people uh, as to what their actual gender is. Man, every time we have this conversation, Aubrey, it feels like it takes another step forward Uh by going, man, we're not even going to acknowledge what biologically this child is. Yeah, I think that's, it, it's a very strange overreaction in my mind. I Look, and I am, you know, I am, it is not hard for me to say that sometimes we have forced gender stereotypes that are not right or good onto people. Boys have had to be this sort of manly, masculine, blah, blah, blah. Girls have had to be, you know what I mean? And I don't like that. I'm not for that. I think that's wrong. Uh, I do think a lot of the gender stereotypes are socialization and not actually like biblical constructs. At the same time, that's different to me than biology. Hmm. And I, I guess I, it feels more harmful and confusing to me to have a kid like just guess which one you are when there are clearly like biology and and body parts and kids brains are still developing and it's like you're not parenting anymore and that feels like it's going to cause way more confusion and complication i here's where i am sensitive i i have a couple people in my life who really felt really had some gender dysmorphia not a huge population a small population of friends and for them, it was very important to be able to pick a different pronoun than what they were born with. And that saved their lives. That protected them from suicide. That protected them from a lot of depression. Now, they are faithful Christians doing the best they can to live in like a traditional sexual ethic, even though they grapple with this thing internally. They're praying that God would, you know, give them a new way. But that's still the reality that they're in. And once they were able to identify a different pronoun, that gave them some peace in there. And so I want to be sensitive to like suicidal tendencies. I want to be sensitive to depression. I think there's a whole part of this conversation Christians can ignore. At the same time, this is going way too far for me. I, I really don't understand what, why is it wrong to say God made you a boy? God made you a girl? Like, I love celebrating that I have three sons. I love, so, I love reminding them that they're sons, and that's fun, and they're wild and crazy in a lot of ways, and 
we laugh about that and I'm the only girl in the house and that's fun too. And just to celebrate that God has created both men and women in his image is I, I think something we ought to really uplift and honor rather than trying to remove. Yeah. I, the biggest part about this for me is children. The things yeah. that we are putting upon yeah. children in our culture right now are are scandalous. Yeah. It is uh, it is abusive, right? We talk, yeah. we throw the word abusive around a lot. Sometimes probably too much, but we throw in our culture the word abusive. But yet somehow it's liberating to go mm. for a four year old to decide what they want to be. No, that's the essence of child abuse, right? Yeah. Because then what we know is that's going to cause great confusion in these kids. And Aubrey, we know that as little kids are told, you choose what you want to be, you do this, that mm-hmm. it, that leads to huge mental health issues. They're, like yeah. you said, their brains can't form. And it feels like this lady's got books on this. It isn't, to be honest with you, it feels like we've begun, not have begun, but we're increasingly using our children as tools of propaganda. Mm, I wow, don't think Brian. that we yeah. should do this. So I'm going to place this upon my child children. and do this. These kids are going to be messed up. They really are. And somehow now we've gotten into the part of our society. Quite frankly, you're seeing it with the shooting that happened in Nashville, where everybody's jumping to like, well, if Christians didn't say this about then this Mm. wouldn't have happened. What's happening is we've now begun celebrating things and putting that upon our children. I see it in in. you know, we see it in schools and in other places where it's like, no, no, to, to be confused or to be choosing your 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 sexuality and your gender is the ultimate liberation now in our culture. And to put that on three year olds, four year olds, five year olds, yes. even yeah. 12 year old girls, 13 yeah. year old boys yeah. is abusive right now. And for some reason, I don't understand why the psychologists and are not not even Christian, but non-Christian psychologists aren't standing up and going this isn't right. We can't do this. But it's like this tide of our of our cultural conversation is is really overtaking our children. Yeah, I agree. This is what we what we come back to quite a lot in this conversation is putting adult decisions, life altering adult decisions on little kids. And I do think that's not protecting the vulnerable. That's not protecting our kids. That is abusive. You're right, Brian. Um, and. And this is so extreme. That's what I, I mean. I know. It, I guess it just shows you how quickly culture is going. But this feels so extreme. I'd like to know. I'd like to know, I guess, what Jesus is thinking about this. I'd like to know if this is causing little ones to stumble. And I'd like to know what the what are the other voices saying, uh, even non-Christian voices in psychology. Like you're saying, I'd like to know what they would say about this because there's yeah. got to be long-term damaging effects. It, it feels like it. It feels like it. So uh, a difficult spot to start, but wanted to start there just as I saw that. I was like, man, we're, what are we doing to our kids? Like, yeah. what are we doing? The greatest thing as a culture is to protect your children and to care for your children. And, and this just isn't it, in my opinion. Well, coming up next, saw a wild graphic the other day about uh, what we as a culture value. And I want to share that with you and ask you, what does this mean? What do we take from it? We're going to do that conversation next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. All right, Aubrey, I saw this a chart the other day. Uh, the Wall Street Journal ran it. It was um, – it looked at over the last couple of years, so 2023 – 
uh, I believe 2021 and 2019, if I remember it, I'll look that up for sure. Okay. The percentage of people who say these particular values are, quote, very important to them. I'm sorry, it was 1998, 2019, 2023. Okay. 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 Uh, so I'm going to read these different values and tell you uh, the kind of the results of people saying these are very important to them. And then I want you to just go, okay, wh- what do we learn from yeah, this? Yeah, okay. All right. Patriotism. In 1998, 70% of people said that value was very important to them. Mm-hmm. 2019, that number went down to 61%. Mm-hmm. In 2023, it went to 38%. Okay. Religion. down to 48%, down to 39% in 2023. Hmm. Having children, 1998, 59%, 2019, 43%, 2023, 30%. Community involvement. In 1998, that number was 47%. In 2019, that number jumped up to 62%. But in 2023... That number went to huh. 27%. Hmm. All right. The only one in this that went up from 31% to 41%, now at 43% in 2023. Do you know what it is? Money. Money. Hey. Money. <laughs> that is uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, from 1998 to 2019 to 2023. Now, interesting what Laura showed us. Is that if you take this back to 1977 or 1976 and ask the same question, the results weren't too different than today. Oh, interesting. 43% at that time said patriotism was very important to them. So patriotism was the one that was jumping out to people because it's the Wall Street Journal. But you'd look at religion, children, community involvement, patriotism, all precipitously down. But money as a value is the only one Going up. that went up. What do you up, make up, up. of this chart? Because now people are trying to do like a like a deep dive into this chart. What does this mean? What does this say right, about us right. as a people? I so in one sense, I wonder if people are just finally saying the quiet thing out loud. Like mm. is it as true as it seems, or is it now it's more acceptable to say these things than it was a while ago? I, you know, like, because even we've talked about what it was, you know, people, well, we were a Christian culture and now we're not a Christian culture, but were we really a Christian culture? I mean, I think those are the questions we're asking. Like, just because you went to church because it was like the socially acceptable thing to do, were people actually like loving God, loving their neighbors? I don't know. I haven't done the research. It's just sometimes when I see these stats, I go, or is it just like we're allowed to be a little more honest about some of these things when you couldn't because of social pressures back then? Yep. So yep. that's always a question I have, sort of the cynical part of me, right? Yep. Yep. And, and then, I, I mean, it's it, it. I think the most telling thing to me on all of this is money going up, right? It's like it is interesting. You know, you know, it's that that to me is fascinating, especially when you think about all that Jesus talks about with money and. And the love of money being the root of evil and you can't serve God and money. Like, it sort of makes sense to me. Let's take religion and money side by side. If religion is going down, then money would go up. Like, I think that's something that Jesus would teach because mm. you can't serve both. That's a good point. And and 
I mean, what does this mean ultimately? I'd be curious to see what what the experts say. I, also, the community involvement thing. I have a question about that too, based on COVID. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's the one. Like people were up in 2019 and all of a sudden it goes down. Well, it's because no one was in the community. So I'd be very curious to see, does this play out differently in the next few years? I hope it does. Obviously, I think anytime we read these statistics as Christians and as Christian leaders, you go, okay, are we addressing the heart appropriately in the church? Are we addressing systems that are leading to some of this stuff appropriately in the church? Why has patriotism gone down? I think we can talk a lot about the last several elections and make some links there. Why has religion gone down? Are we, uh, those of us who are in Christian leadership, are we loving our neighbors towards Jesus? And are we forming the people in our church to like stay, right? To stay faithful. Um, Some of the other things, community involvement, loving your neighbor, that feels very tied biblically. Money feels very tied biblically. Having children, I mean, I don't really have much of an opinion on that. I think that's a generational thing. uh, I don't know. So I'm I'm just kind of talking around data that I know nothing about, but I think it's interesting. What do you think, Brian? Well, first of all, in all fairness, I do want to say that there are some statisticians, some data people who are like, well, there's more to this than that. Yeah, of course. It's still helpful to look at the trajectory of the poll, I think the community involvement one's really interesting because I think that is the most tied to COVID. It went, yeah. The, that's the one that went most down between 2019 and 2023. And what were we told in COVID? Get inside, get yeah. away from people. And we all totally. got used to not knowing our neighbors. Not right. Reaching out, not doing that. And I think that's showing the residual yeah. effects. Yeah. I think that one is lasting. I think religion and patriotism are interesting because I think uh, years ago, even in 1998, to be, quote unquote, religious was a positive thing. Mm. I don't think it is our culture in culture yeah. anymore. Right. At most people are ambivalent to it. Right. And at worst, they're they're uh, angry about it. Oh, you religious people just do this and this and this. Mm. And it's tied to the patriotism. Yep. Patriotism used to be. Hey, I go to the 4th of July parade. I put a flag out. I love my country. Let's just be honest. The the far left and more so the far right have have kind of co-opted patriotism. Oh, interesting. Like, what are the I've got some people in my life who are far right. Like they yeah. are they are the um, the stereotype. We're yeah. the stereotype of like the far right is. And you know what they call each other? Patriots. They refer to each other as patriots. Wow. And so now people like you and me who probably I'm more centrist or center right or whatever. Yeah. You hear them calling themselves patriots and you start to go subconsciously. I don't want to be called a patriot. I don't want that. I don't want to be that. In 1998, I still love my country as much as I ever did. Right. But now patriotism has this weird thing to it. And it, I, it does make me worry where that's going to play out. Because I want a country where we're all patriot. We love our country. We, we love our country. We're for our country. our country. Absolutely. But Absolutely. Yeah, I, I see Facebook posts of these people who are just like, they're crazy. Like, they're way mm. out there. And they are like gathering all the patriots together. And yeah, these are the guys. I don't know if you've seen these guys that have like the trucks with like four flags on them. Mm-hmm. And they're all it, it, they're all very like. 
saying a lot out loud. You aggressive, know what I mean? Aggressive. And it's like, yeah. yeah it's, and then I, that is my instinct too, Brian. It's funny you say this to be like, oh, I don't want to be that. I don't want right. to be associated with that. Like that's too. So it, that is interesting. Like who's co-opted patriotism? What does that actually mean? Interesting. I think, for religion. For sure. I think the term quote unquote religion has been co-opted yeah. by people who are anti-religion, but also mm-hmm. people who are like, who've tied like, weird mm-hmm. things to religion so a lot of us mm-hmm. are like i don't want to be religious i don't want to be that either yeah and, uh, but but we do and so th- just fine i find stats interesting so uh go look it up at the wall street journal we'll put it up at our facebook page and you can just wrestle with them yourself all right aubrey coming up next uh our friend sarah zylstra wrote something really powerful uh coming out of that shooting at covenant mm. presbyterian in nashville kind of interviewing some people who are from down there, who are Mm. from that church. And I want to read a couple quotes to you about people processing grief right now. And what does that look like? We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, one of the, just, we talked about it yesterday. We talked about it. You and Catherine talked about it last week. This just horrific school shooting at Covenant Presbyterian in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, that you even shared some of your family has some ties there. But, yeah, it's so sad. Uh, just such a sad story. Three nine-year-olds killed and then also three adults, the a substitute teacher, a beloved janitor, mm. and uh, the head of the school, the principal essentially, mm-hmm. uh, all killed um, just senselessly. And we've yeah. talked about the shooting aspect. Of, we talked, But now funerals are starting to happen. Yeah. And uh, just... I can't imagine. Uh, and even when you put it over top of the fact that we're in Holy Week and what does yeah. that look like? like uh, just all of it oh, is so hard. I know. Well, our friend Sarah Zylstra, Sarah Zylstra uh, wrote at the um, basically an article, the Gospel Coalition, where she interviewed some people. And she, it's mm. titled this Speaking Truth to Fear from Covenant Presbyterian mm. in Nashville. And it begins by talking about. Uh, somebody who spoke at Covenant Presbyterian Church yesterday saying the world has changed since the last time we got together on the Lord's Day and just how mm. much, how true that is. Uh, and that funerals are beginning. Nine-year-old William Kinney, uh, a funeral was held Sunday night. And the day before that, Cynthia Peak, she being the substitute teacher, the funeral was held at Christ Presbyterian. And on Wednesday, the funeral for head of school, Catherine Kuntz, will be held there. And so just... Uh, just hard, yeah, hard awful. stuff. Let me read a quote. I, I want to talk about where we do find hope in the midst of. Now, I, I don't want to be flippant about it and be like, well, you know, this is what must it be like. I've never experienced tragedy no. like this, yeah. a school no, shooting this. But devastating. Jesus does say in this world, you will have trouble. You have written a book on lament. Like there mm-hmm. are troubles. There are, we yeah. will all face problems, even if they are not to this level. But right. quite frankly, for some of you, it will be to this level, uh, whether it be mm. a tragic death like this, a disease, yeah. whatever else it might mm. be. And so this person who was speaking to the packed auditorium, uh, said this. Now, just picture saying this. There is it, school employees in the room. There are families in the room, first responders, families from out of town, all of this stuff. And uh, this person said this. Some things are different today, but some things are the same. Mm-hmm. The world has changed, but our king 
still reigns. Wow. I found that to be really powerful. Mm. Could you unpack the importance of that statement or maybe the theological undergirdings of a statement like that in a room where people are just raw with their emotions? Well, I, you know, I think... I, I think that's the that's where you start, right? Is the context of this is some things are different today that you ha- you have to acknowledge that. Like that's true for all of us who are bearing witness to this, but that is especially true for those people sitting in the room of that funeral, right? Like mm. things have changed and there's now a there is now sort of a a mark on the timeline of these families and friends' lives, communities' life, that will never go away. It just won't. And I think sometimes we're way too quick to to jump ahead and not acknowledge, like, no, this something has changed in the world, in my soul, in our community, and I am not the same person I was because now I'm carrying grief and fear in a way that, like, I never expected to. So mm. I you know, I think just to acknowledge that is so healthy and even godly, so yeah. important. You know, we, we talked about this briefly yesterday, but even thinking about Good Friday, like Jesus coming into town on that king's donkey, but weeping over Jerusalem. Like, there is something about... There is something about our world and there is something about our faith where we're invited to hold pain at the same time that we hold great hope in Jesus. And this is where I appreciate this quote continues, but some things are the same. Yeah. And um, man, it, it is it brings you to tears, honestly, to think about, oh, goodness, like that there's so much pain and so much devastation and so much heartache, especially when you're thinking about precious little kids lives lost and people just going about their day, their lives lost. Um, But to, to know and to trust even with all of the uncertainty in this world that we have a certain steadfast King Mm -hmm. on a throne who is Mm -hmm. not far removed from this, who is in the midst of it. And although it's horrible and tragic, and I think honestly could make you lose your faith to stop and go, okay, God, I trust that like you are on the throne and you are writing a better story. And one day there will be no more tears and no more pain. Um, that's sometimes, I mean, you know, it sounds, I know I sound a little depressed right now, but it's sometimes that's the only hope we have when we're faced with this stuff is that God does not change. God is on the throne. And one day, one day, one day, this thing we believe that he is making all things new. Like that's what we cling to, you know, and we, and you have to, you have to make the choice in light of days like this to go, okay, God, I believe you. I believe who you say you are. I believe you're going to do what you say you're going to do. I believe your promises are true. And I believe that there is hope on the other side of this. That is a, an unspeakable, unfathomable hope in the midst of something that's unspeakable and unfathomable now. Yep. Yeah, that's well put. Psalm 23, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me uh, and you comfort me. Uh, The way we get through stuff, and I want to read the quote from the article, is we lean on other people's faith. That's it. We lean on other people. This is the power of community. Yeah. Uh, One of the speakers there quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together and Mm. gave this quote. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to them. Mm -hmm. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself 
without belying the truth. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Yeah. And that's it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. what do we do when life is crumbling around us? We hang on to, and you wrote, right, in the louder song about all the things you'd gone through. I'm sure you could speak to that. Like, uh, you've used the phrase, I'm going to butcher it a little bit. Sometimes you have to hang on to the other people's faith. You You borrow other people's faith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, speak and, to and, that again. Yeah, I mean, you you do. Sometimes you have to borrow other people's faith, especially when you're the one at the center of the grief. You're the one mm-hmm. at the center of the loss. And this is what I love about our faith that is communal. We make it too individual. But the beautiful part of it is like, Brian, when you feel stronger and sure, but I'm in a season of suffering, I can go, okay, Brian believes, so I'm just going to hang on to that right mm-hmm. now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and vice versa, when you're suffering, you're hurting, something's going on in your life, and I'm like... I'm going to stand true in my faith. Like, I mean, for instance, I spoke at an event after my best friend Jen died. And I remember the worship pastor just declaring the goodness of God and singing over us. And that was a moment where I was like, I'm borrowing her faith right now. Mm. I'm borrowing her faith right now. And I know that sounds kind of strange to people, but unless you've gone through hardship, uh, you don't really realize how powerful that is. The community that kind of carries you through difficulty. Absolutely. And what a gift it is as well. And so, of Mm. course, we're we're praying that for Nashville, that they've got each other to carry each other through this difficult time. I love the way the article ends, because obviously Sarah is at this service watching this go on and kind of reporting it. And the last person spoke and then it said, and then the service ended with communion. And you're just Mm. like, that's powerful. Yeah, it is. That's beautiful. And so, yes, as you said, let's continue to be praying for the people down there. But how do we get through hardship, right? We, We rehearse in our minds. God is good. God is sovereign. God is present. God is victorious. And we hang on to other people and we, we rely on other people. Well, coming up next, it is Holy Week. And so I want to ask an interesting, I think an important question, but kind of, you know, we always joke about saying the, the quiet things out loud. <laughs> what happens when you, if and when you feel indifferent during Holy Week? If you just don't mm. quote unquote feel good. it. Yeah. What can you do? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. It is Holy Week. We are moving towards Easter, towards Good Friday, towards Easter. This is the celebration. And uh, we do hope and pray that you are kind of engaging in this week and all that Easter means. Uh, but, Aubrey, we speak of Easter like, rightfully so, this grand celebration. And uh, we, uh, us pastors, like to call it the Super Bowl. And it's, it's building and building and building. And, you know, here's the weird question that I've got for you. What do you do? What should somebody out there do if they're out there going, I'm just not feeling it. I know it's Easter. It's supposed to matter to me. Uh, but I'm just numb. I'm mm. my heart feels hard. Uh, it doesn't really. It's not registering. It's not computing. You get what I'm saying? Like what totally. Oh, totally. I actually. I'm. Can I be honest? I feel a little about this this year. Mm. Like, like I. I think part of it's the season I'm in, just with grief, and part of it's just the season I'm in with busyness. I haven't. I feel like I actually woke up uh, this morning going. Do I even care that it's Holy Week? Oh, I think, and I even, I mean, I think I, I kind of had your, your voice in my head. I think the good news is old news for me right now. Okay, Lord, Mm. I need you to help me. And that's where I started, like, just kind of saying to God, like, man, I'm kind of struggling to even care that it's Holy Week. 
can you help me? Yeah. Because I, I don't know. I don't feel like I can necessarily like muster up for myself some big feeling about Holy Week, but I do mm. think the Holy Spirit can like transform me. And so that's mm. what I'm kind of counting on. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Is that, uh, so it, it is the beginning of this issue the old G.I. Joe, right? Knowing is half the battle. Totally. Like, here's the struggle for that I feel as a Christian who's been a Christian for a long time. Taking pastor off of it. Yeah. Just, you know, been a Christian for a long time is, yes, the old news, the good news can become old news. But also there's a guilt with admitting that. <laughs> totally. There's a guilt that says... Well, I guess I should. And so what we do is we pretend and we're going, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to pretend. Hey, good news. Easter. He is risen and all this stuff. And you end up going, ah, like, do what's wrong with me? Right. And I I think that battle goes on for people today. Where do you think that guilt even comes from? Right. Like, why do we feel guilty even admitting Although maybe you don't feel guilty. You admitted it on the radio. But why, yeah. do, why yeah. do a lot of us who've especially been raised in the church, who are kind of steeped in Christendom, if you will, feel guilty going, my heart feels hard. I feel distant. I yeah. feel kind of disconnected right now. Well, I think it's a couple things. Like, one, I think some of it is this sort of socialization in the church to, like, never admit you're struggling, right? And always, mm. always is always have it all together and your faith is great and you have no questions. And I think that's part of it. I also think like we haven't been discipled well to go, Oh wait, maybe this is actually just part of faith is having Mm. seasons of doubt or having questions. I mean, you know, I've heard some, I like there was a season when people were kind of leaning into Lord, I believe help my unbelief that, that story in scripture, that verse as kind of a way to explain some of this. But I feel like even that's died down a little bit culturally. Like, Mm -hmm. but I do think often that's sort of the posture that we actually have is Lord, I believe help my unbelief. But for some reason we think that's not okay, or that's not faithful or that's not, it's, something that I try to remember, it's not the questions and the doubts that are unfaithful. It's where we go with them. Like, do you run to Jesus with the questions? Like I think about the disciples on the boat with this storm, right? They ran to Jesus to wake him up. And although he's like, what are you doing? I'm fine. It's all good. Don't you know who I am? They still ran to Jesus. They could have jumped off the boat and started swimming away and trying to save themselves or going to other things. But the faithful choice is like, run to Jesus. I think about the road to Emmaus, like they don't really recognize Jesus is with them. Jesus for all intents and purposes is going to keep on walking until they go, Oh wait, come talk with us. We want to talk to you about some things. And so there, there's just something about you have the doubts, you have the questions. That's part of faith. Like that's what faith is. Right. And, and, but to be able to run to Jesus with them, to invite Jesus into them, that's sort of, I think the, not saying it's the magic i'm but i am saying that's sort of the key is like where are you running with those with those doubts and that hardness etc do you remember when you were first married and um see if you can if this makes sense do you remember when you were first married and you'd walk into a room and maybe you know kevin's in that room well you guys probably had an apartment right like carrie carrie and i had a one bedroom apartment one bath that cost (laughs) like 600 bucks a month (laughs) wow and you walk in and you see your spouse and there's a there's a period of time where you're like like i can't believe we're married like that's my wife like there's like this excitement 
Yeah. I don't walk into a room and have that same feeling about, like, the fact that Carrie and I are married now after 23 years. Right, but right. But our... That doesn't, that's no value statement about our relationship. Uh, it's not if like, anything, your relationship is stronger now. Exactly. It's yeah. not that I love her less or right. I want to be married less. It's just right. we've been married for 23 years now. Right. Um, but like you said, there's a depth of love and understanding. And sometimes if I can make the leap, I think faith kind of works the same way. Mm. Like if you and I had just become Christians now, you'd probably walk into Easter and be like, this is all so unbelievable. I'm yeah. overwhelmed. I'm crying. Yeah. I'm this and that. Now, after all these years, the 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 shock of it might be different, but it's still it's still important. It's yeah. still. But there is something to be said about uh, you know on the show. I often bring up the concept of awe. Like that's where mm. I get worried. Like if I lose, you lose that. If I can't be have any awe this week to the fact that Christ died for my sins. Yeah. And that he, the tomb was empty yeah. and the victory that like if that if that is like, ah, that's awesome. Where are we no going? Big to deal. Brunch? Where's right. Easter brunch? Right. That's a problem. So can we manufacture that? What do you do? How do we manufacture sounds like the wrong word, but I'm going to use it. How do yeah, we manufacture I understand. that? So I don't know if we can manufacture it, but I actually do think there are things we can do. Um, I think one is to participate in some of the Holy Week activities that you've been invited to through mm -hmm. local churches, because some of it is just like putting yourself in that posture before God and hearing the gospel, tasting the gospel through communion, uh, remembering like in community and you go, oh yeah, like I just think the Holy Spirit uses those things. I do think there are spiritual disciplines and practices, silence and and scripture reading and you know, listening even to music or, you know, meditating on certain passages of scripture that the Lord uses to help bring back that awe. And some of it, like, hear me out, because I don't want to be legalistic, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think it's just a matter of like, if Jesus is king, and if you're in a royal court, you're going to walk into that court. Even if you don't necessarily, quote unquote, feel like bowing down, you're going to bow down because that's the king. And there's mm. a part of me that's like, I, I do this in my own life. Like, oh, even if I don't necessarily feel like it, I have to bow. And I mean, physically, like I will get on my knees and be like, OK, Lord, I am putting myself in a posture mm. of worship before you. Even if I don't necessarily like, quote unquote, feel it right now, even if you know my heart is hard and God knows, I'm not like mm. I can hide anything mm. from God. Um because I've said you're my king and I want to honor you as such. And so you just, it's almost like praying, God, would you take this physical posture and make it the posture of my heart? You know, and mm. I, I just think sometimes those practices like help the body and the soul and the spirit remember, like sometimes it's just choosing faith, like yeah. choosing faithfulness, choosing to worship. Like, and I, I, sometimes that gets downplayed in our society, but I actually think it, it really matters. It's, I'm sure the first disciples and the early church had days when it wasn't like they're on fire. You know what I mean? And yet they just knew like, no, we've Jesus is our King. We've chosen this way of life. We're going to love God and love our neighbor and keep on doing it. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know, Brian, what do I, you think? I appreciate that prayer aspect of it too. Like sometimes we, we can overcomplicate these things. Like when's the last time, if you're feeling this way, that, that anyone has gotten on, like you said, on their knees and just said, God, I have a hard heart. 
I need you to do something. Like, do we yeah. believe the Holy Spirit works in those ways to soften right. hearts? It might be right. painful. It right. might be. Right. It might not be like, oh, let me grant you your wish. It might be <laughs> painful. But uh, is our relationship with Jesus that important to say, uh, I, I, I'm not, I've lost the awe. Yeah. God, do something. I think that's yeah. a prayer to pray. And then I think God answers those prayers. And then I think then we could go into an Easter celebration this week. So all that to say, some self-reflection, I think, is also important. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.